everyone. Welcome back to How It's Reported, a podcast where we talk to journalists about how they do the work they do. Today, we have News Desk Editor Duncan Baumgart with us. Hi, Duncan. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so good. Is this my my American Idol audition or like The Voice? Uh, no. Is that why we're sitting in the chairs like this? You reached the wrong call. You actually didn't make it to the second round. Oh, interesting, interesting. This is something else. This is for your job. Oh, my job. What I do get paid for. Yeah, what you do get paid for. Okay. So we're going to have to go from there. All right. Sounds good. But, um, yeah, so you just wrote a story, a cover story. I did. I did. How was it? It was honestly... It came out of a very controversial space, but ended up being a really gratifying story to do because um, obviously the story started with the visit um, to the campus community by the conservative political commentator Charlie Kirk uh, wanting to talk about critical race theory being taught at uh, public institutions and uh, the controversy that spun out of that. But it ended up becoming a space where we could have a frank conversation about, okay, what is critical race theory? But even more so, what isn't critical race theory? Because that's something that many of the people that I ended up talking to wanted to make clear was that when people talk about critical race theory in terms of uh, elementary schools, high schools, colleges even, it's not really what they think they're talking about. And so I think having a space to have that conversation and be able to um, really unpack what it means to learn about inclusive curriculums and inclusive spaces was really important for the UO community to be able to read about. Yeah, I thought that the interviews were just like really well done in general. And I really want to talk about those. But first, I kind of want to just talk about like how you found out about the story or like what made you want to write this story from this specific angle. Because obviously, just like from reading it, it was kind of like a um, like a reactive piece from like this event and this like community reaction. So can you kind of tell me how like this 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 story kind of formulated after hearing about Charlie Kirk coming and, you know, doing all that. Sure. My personal philosophy when it comes to controversial subjects and controversial people is less so to focus on the people themselves, but more so to just focus on the bigger issues that are called into question by them being present in a conversation. So when it came to the question of do we cover someone that many people say are uh, spreading harmful information while others say that they are, uh, you know, controversial because of whatever reason, um, having to ask the question, how do we want to approach this? And I think when it comes to something like uh, inclusive curriculum and inclusive learning, um, it's important to talk to people who know what they're talking about and to really know what their background is with uh, when it comes to curriculum and when it comes to teaching. And so that's why I wanted to go more of an education route, because I also think my per- my personal philosophy with journalism is to Uh, see it as an opportunity to educate people, educate people about their communities, educate people about uh, what the people around them are really thinking, and to teach them more about the world that they live in. And so being able to talk to people who are experts in their field and who have unique experiences and unique points of view, I think is a, a really helpful and a really strong way to approach controversial issues is to go to the experts, talk to the people who have been associated with a topic for long enough and less focus on the controversy, but rather the larger conversation surrounding the controversy. 100%. And kind of speaking of experts, when I think about the story from a journalistic perspective, I automatically recognize that you had to do some research on what critical race theory was and like you said what it wasn't and so 
you know, can you kind of talk to me about your research on that and uh, what led you to feel comfortable enough to actually write about it? Sure. Yeah, it was very important to me that when it comes to certain phrases or certain ideas that are being tossed around, like terms like critical race theory, terms like inclusive education, terms like racism, obviously, or concepts being racist against groups of people, it's really important that you go to recognized reputable sources for information. And so I ended up actually doing research through the uh, American Bar Association um, associated with the American legal system to kind of understand the history of where a term like critical race theory comes from. And actually, the big thing that's misunderstood about critical race theory is that it was a legal term that was used to describe how the legal system is not amoral or apolitical. And so basically, it's looking at the ways that race, the ways that identity factors into how law is practiced. And usually it's not a topic that's brought up until around your second or third year in the law school because it's mandatory that you have a fairly solid understanding of what critical race theory is. And you can only understand that once you understand how the law works and how it's practiced. And so when people are talking about critical race theory being taught in schools, that's kind of a mislabeling, according to many of the sources that I talked to, because uh, the critical race theory that's understood and uh, explained by people like Charlie Kirk and other people isn't actually what critical race theory is. What they're actually talking about, my sources say, are actual uh, inclusive curriculums and ways of teaching about a more inclusive and more broad spectrum uh, view of history, particularly American history when it comes to the role of African Americans, the role that slavery, the role that racism plays into our country's history is what's the big difference um, when it comes to the question of critical race theory. Um, and so I think that making sure to understand what misconceptions were there to begin with, and then creating a space for people to kind of speak on those misconceptions, I think is really important as a journalist, because showing that you know how to do your homework and know where to go for information really shows your sources and also your readers that you're a trustworthy person to be talking about a story. And so I think that's why it was really key to do as much information and as much uh, research gathering as I could before actually reaching out and talking to people about the controversy surrounding uh, critical race theory and inclusive education. 100%. So like, Going from all of that, obviously, you said that, you know, having sources that were reliable led to a reliable piece in general. And I was just like super interested when I'm reading the piece about the sources that you used. Can you kind of talk to me about your interviews in general and just like what you learned, anything surprising that you learned or just the overall takeaways that you had after doing your interviews, specifically maybe with Professor uh, Cheney? Yeah, absolutely. So Professor Cheney is a professor in the Ethnic Studies program, and she's also uh, the director of the Black Studies program. She's um, worked for the university for a very long time, since about 2009, uh, when she, the uh, ethnic studies program was formally departmentalized when it became uh, an actual department at the university. And she has been talking about this for a very long time. Uh, in her ethnic studies 101 class, she spends much of the curriculum space talking about race, talking about how uh, race isn't a biological uh, marker. It's something that is socialized and something that's created by society. And talking about what it means to have an inclusive curriculum and a, a fully encompassing curriculum was really uh, enlightening talking with her because she's worked all across uh, the educational spectrum. She's, uh, you know, experienced plenty of different um, 
pushbacks when it comes to curriculum, but what she ended up sharing, which was really interesting to me, was following the 2020 protests of of last summer, um, the uh, radicalization, she called it, the radicalization and the re-energization of uh, students of all races and all gender identities and all sorts of different backgrounds were able to be energized by the things that they were learning when it comes to things like racism in the country or anti-Black sentiments in the country. And the ability to take that radicalization, as she called it, and bring it to the classroom, to bring it to the curriculum she was presenting, she called it being hungry for the curriculum that they were being presented with, I think was something that was a really uh, positive way to look at it in that people were learning about the tragedies that have followed our country since its inception up until the common day and deciding that there was hope for the future and that people were willing to put in the hard work to be inclusive and be mindful of the variety of people in our society and how to best represent them and advocate for them uh, in our education systems, but also in our day-to-day lives. And I think that's why someone like Professor Cheney is so important because of her background and also because of her unique perspective within the field and as a professor of ethnic studies. Yeah, I thought that her interview, you know, tidbits were just so interesting and the whole piece and really brought it to life. And um, I just want to read the last few sentences of your piece just so viewers can kind of understand what, you know, what she was talking about. I feel like the last sentence really summarizes it. And she said, I love my job because of the potential I have to shift. She said, I used to say, I just want to create a crack in the foundation of students. And once that crack happens, there's a place that change can happen. I just thought that was really a, a great, a great interview bit. And I just I'm happy you included that. Absolutely. And when she was talking about that, she was also talking about how the experience of being in college, being outside of a place that you're familiar with, being outside of a, of a place where everyone looks like you, everyone acts like you, being in a space where you're meeting so many different types of people, when you are experiencing that newness and that freshness and that uncertainty, that's where you can grow so much empathy and so much understanding for the people around you. And that's why I wanted to make sure that that change that crack in the foundation through education, but also through meeting new people and talking with new people is so important when it comes to understanding big issues like this, because she said empathy is so important when it comes to uh, understanding these issues. And that's why that's why it's important to explain that ability to form cracks in solid foundations that have already been formed in terms of knowledge and understanding. Yeah, 100%. And just this kind of going back a little bit, I know you said you really, really made an an aware kind of step to tell the story as like an education piece or, or maybe less than that, just like hearing from people who really know what they're talking about when it talks to critical race theory. But like I said, a, a, in a lot of ways, this piece wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the original Charlie Kirk event coming to Eugene. Were you able to go to his event or reach a representative for con- comment at all? So uh, the original Charlie Kirk event was scheduled to happen at the Graduate Hotel. That was rescheduled. It was bounced around to a couple different locations. At one point, it was scheduled to be at a Holiday Inn. That was canceled for various reasons. The event ultimately ended up taking place at a golf course in uh, Cresswell, which is about 15 minutes away from Eugene. Um, And I was not able to be inside the event physically, but I did watch the event over live stream. Um, They had hit uh, safety capacity numbers in terms of um, how many people were there. But I did watch the the live stream and I did listen to what um, Charlie Kirk had been talking about. And um, it was an intentional choice to not include quotes 
quotes from that specific event because in my view, that wasn't necessarily what the story was about. And I wanted to make sure that I was more so centering less controversy and more answers in terms of uh, what people were talking about and why people were talking about it. And so um, I think Charlie Kirk was an important springboard for that conversation. And I think that that was one of the reasons that this conversation could happen. Um, I also believe that um, when it comes to issues like race and when it comes to issues like uh, awareness of racism in the country, I want to make sure that I can center expert voices rather than uh, political commentators on the topic. And I think black voices, too, specifically. Absolutely. I think that's extremely important. And I think you did a really good job doing that. Yeah. So I, I know this was an intentional shift, but I mean, just kind of talking because you did have some some quotes of reactions to the, the Kirk event. And a lot of people around me had strong opinions and reactions. And so I wanted to know, how do you successfully write about community reaction in a story? Um, do you do this through individual interviews, social media or what? what how do you do that? So when it comes to talking about student voices, um, I do think that it's very important to get as many community voices uh, involved when it comes to controversy, because honestly, controversy comes from the people. It doesn't come from institutions necessarily. It comes more from community reactions to things. And so when it came to getting community reaction to Charlie Kirk coming to campus, I wanted to find as broad of a community perspective as I could. And so going to places like social media, going to places like, you know, Reddit and places like that, um, you know, social media sites in general, um, being able to kind of get a broader pulse for how people were reacting um, felt very important to me because also when it comes to community reactions, when you're inter- when you are interviewing individual people, you want to be careful not to be making um, individual people, uh, individual subjects be the center of an opinion. 100%. Um, and you want to make sure that the information that you are saying is representative of community perspectives isn't placed on just one person, but rather a large amount of voices. And so that's situations where you would reach out uh, through social media, get comments uh, from comment sections, stuff like that. And, um, you know, there is space to obviously reach out to individual people, especially at a university newspaper, because people who are growing and changing and learning so much obviously have stronger opinions about certain issues. And so I think that there is definitely space to reach out to those people. I also think that getting a pulse for the larger community is also very important when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. I, you know, just when you were talking, I, I was, I don't know if everybody knows this, but you're actually the news desk editor. So you're pretty busy, if I, I, am. If I might say so myself. Um, why did you decide to cover this and not give it to some writer, another writer? Well, part of it was the deadline. The The deadline was coming up pretty quickly <laughs> for the story. <laughs> the yeah. deadlines do happen for everyone in the J school and everyone everywhere else knows that deadlines do pass and deadlines do come. Um, And I wanted to make sure that this was a story that could be handled with as much care as possible. And I'm really proud of my team of reporters because um, there is so much empathy and so much patience there. And I I wanted to make sure that the story was handled by someone who had experience covering controversial topics before. And my experience as a reporter, I've covered... um, you know, everything from the first major Black Lives Matter protest in Eugene to uh, everything, including, you know, 
budget contract stuff and community engagement. I've covered so many different things that I think that having someone with the most news experience is really important when you're covering really controversial topics. And I think that's something that time and dedication really can offer. And I truly believe that anyone who takes the time to work hard to understand a topic is absolutely capable of of writing a, a representative and compassionate story. Because I think when you lead with empathy as well, um, dedication to empathy, but also dedication to the truth, you're able to write some of the best stories. And I was really honored to have the opportunity to write with both of those things in mind. Yeah, I, I guess when I think about that, too, it's um, I was I was really lucky to go to an event with with Ann Curry before and the way she described empathy was really interesting to me. She said that empathy is like a muscle. You have to, you know, work it out and work on it to to make it stronger and your pieces will eventually become stronger because of that. And Absolutely. I think I think like what I liked about what you said, it's not necessarily just experience on the writing, it's experience on working on your empathy muscle and everything. So that makes a lot of sense to me and I appreciate that, that you said that. Um and we'll switch over a little bit. What surprised you the most about the story, whether it being the process of writing it or the reaction to it after it was posted? Oh, that's a good question. I think what surprised me the most was how open people were willing to talk about it and to try and help people understand. Because I think, you know, when it comes to controversy, people are often very skittish to talk about it because people don't want anyone to misunderstand them. They don't want people to um, feel like they are necessarily speaking for a collective. I remember when I interviews, uh, when I I remember when I interviewed Miles Pendleton, uh, the new uh, president of the NAACP chapter in Eugene. Um, he wanted to make it clear that he spoke both for himself, but not necessarily for the entire collective of the NAACP in Eugene, because um, you know, when it comes to large issues, it's important that um, you speak for yourself, but also you speak in mind uh, for lots of people. And I think the uh, the decision to, you know, go on the record and talk about these things, I think, shows a lot of bravery as well to tell the truth of what people think um, and to try and help uh, educate and also sometimes correct people's understanding of things, because I think telling someone that they misunderstand is a really brave thing to do um, when it comes to lived experience versus uh, political rhetoric. And I think that, you know, people's bravery to be able to tell those stories and to sit down and, and share their, their points of view and their education and their uh, curriculum uh, was really a very, uh, a very encouraging thing to see from people because it shows that genuine conversation when both sides are coming from a place of good faith, they are able to understand each other and help educate each other. And that was something that um, Miles Pendleton um, made really clear was that conversations about education and conversations about curriculum and the discussion of race in classrooms, when it comes to those kinds of conversations, good faith arguments have to be at the core of those conversations, whether someone is trying to cause harm or whether someone is truly trying to have a conversation about the place of education. Those are two different things. And being able to come to issues like racial education and racism, uh, education on racism, 
being able to come to that discussion table with the best intentions at heart, not necessarily trying to um, push any sort of specific political agenda, but rather talk about what it means to teach and to learn about our pasts um, and what that means for our present and our future um, is really important. And I really appreciated that he made that uh, that side of it clear because lots of times when it comes to um, events like Charlie Kirk's getting canceled and moved to different areas, it is oftentimes uh, talked about as if freedom of speech is being silenced. And Miles made it clear that it's not necessarily an issue of freedom of speech because obviously he did end up finding a space to share his ideas. It's more so a question of whether communities feel that those arguments are being had in good faith or not. And I think that's also something that's really important to see and to understand um, from certain perspectives is whether or not people are given a platform to uh, speak in certain communities, not whether that platform exists or not, because freedom of speech obviously offers that platform, but it just matters whether communities are willing to engage with those with those ideas. And I think that that was something that was really surprising and really interesting to hear about. Why do you think this story is important for people to read, um, maybe even specifically to the UL community? Oh, goodness. I think that, you know, education on any sort of controversial topic when it comes from a place of giving voice to people who know better than the everyday person on certain topics, whether it's through curriculum, whether it's through the legal process, whether it's through lived experience. I think creating space for people to live, um, creating space for people to share their stories and share their perspectives to try and help people understand their world better means so much to a culture that is so emotionally grounded um, or a culture that is so emotionally driven in terms of uh, whether things are right or wrong. And so much of that comes from understanding what is being said. And I think that learning from experts, learning from people with lived experiences, listening to Black voices on issues like racism and uh, race-based education, I think is so important. And I think that, um, you know, the more articles that are produced that talk about it, that share those ideas, um, the more publications, the more television shows, our culture is so... Um, inundated with information about history and about racism in the country, I think that being able to engage with those ideas with good faith, wanting to learn more and wanting to understand can mean so much for the future and means so much for the conversations that we'll have in our daily lives. You know, Thanksgiving's coming in two weeks, you know, and I'm sure someone will end up having to have a conversation with someone about critical race theory at the dinner table. And, you know, educating yourself on what the experts say can mean so much for a conversation and can help people understand better what they're talking about. And I think that's what good news does. And I think that's what I tried to do with this story. Um, so you wrote the story, you conducted the interviews, you know the story way better than anybody who reads it could. Um, is there anything you want to say about the story that you feel like we haven't talked about? Oh, that's a good question. Well, if you've only read the print edition, there's about 300 extra words on the website. That's dailyemerald.com. Just kidding. That's a plug. <laughs> we'll plug um, you later. Yeah, we'll plug you later. We'll plug you later. All right. Sorry. Sorry. My advertising is coming out. Um, I think 
I think that coming away from the article, knowing that there's still more to the conversation is really important and that there are spaces to have those conversations and to learn more. As students at the University of Oregon, there are spaces like the ethnic studies program, like the black studies minor, like the Latinx studies minor. Um, There are so many other avenues that we can look to learn more about people who may or may not look like us or have the same lived experiences as us. And knowing that it's okay to ask questions when those questions are in service of trying to understand our world better. And that people like Professor Cheney create space in classrooms and people within the ethnic studies program and so many other programs across campus, there are spaces that are intentionally created to both educate, but also have those hard conversations in good faith with the intention of helping people understand the world better. And I think that was a really big takeaway and a really big uh, thing that, you know, is important to keep in mind that we have the opportunity to, to learn about these things and we have an opportunity to understand these issues better when we come to them from an academic and from a uh, learning perspective um, instead of a combative or uh, emotional perspective as well. And I think that's really important that we see it as an education opportunity as well. Duncan, as always, it's so lovely to talk to you. Oh, and it's just so, so lovely to talk to you too. <laughs> Just rack your brain on everything you're working on. Um, is there a place where everybody can find you, Some maybe Twitter, or give you some news tips? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so my Twitter is DuncanBaumgart2. So uh, for all of my Germans out there, that's D-U-N-C-A-N-B-A-U-M-G-A-R-T, and then the number two, because apparently there was another Duncan out there somewhere. Shout out to you if you're listening to this. But yeah, that's my that's my main uh, avenue of communication. You can check me out on on Twitter, that hellscape that we all live on. And <laughs> yeah, if you have any news stories, feel free to DM me. But other than that, feel free to catch me on campus sometime. I'm the one in the rainbow jacket. <laughs> I've been meaning to tell you, I think you need to tweet more. I think your sassy little oh, remarks gosh. could do well on Twitter. Oh, and I, man. I think we need that. I, I think, think that, that I truly need to just take a step back away from Twitter. I think we all do, but it's my job. So, all right, I'll take it into consideration. I'll take it under consideration. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Emerald listeners, for listening to another episode of How It's Reported. We'll be back soon with another episode.